Um, and, and sometimes, and we've been in one of those times of just a month of repentance. Everybody say repentance. You know repentance is important. I mean, I think that we should become, and if you have been here this past, uh, these past few weeks, you, you'll know this, that we should become very acquainted with repentance. Sometimes people have relegated repentance to only when they came to Jesus. And I just would say this, unless you've lived an entirely perfect life, well, then you didn't get as much repentance in as you should have or needed to. Anybody hear what I'm saying? It's okay to talk back to me a little bit because I know you're alive and breathing. But, but sometimes uh, in the life of a believer, we need to embrace that we don't get it perfect and even in our growth and development to become more Christ-like, we have to step back and say, God, I know that I haven't been getting it right in this area because of the new revelation I have, so I repent of where I've been. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you've never experienced that, and I would just say, get in God's word and listen to what he's saying, and you'll find those times where you just fall before him and say, God, I repent. I, I'm tweaking the direction once again. I'm tweaking the, the trajectory that I'm on once again. And so we've been in this time of repentance and revival. Because I believe this, there's more value in the revived than there is the dead. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just telling you that if you think that church ought to be just a place where we go and do the same exact thing every Sunday and, and, and we continue through the routine of, of getting nowhere and you think that's it, then I would just say there's more value in an alive and an awakened and an on-fire church than there is in a dead and dying church. There's just more value. And, and what can happen is we can get accustomed to the same old, same old. And I'm titling my message this morning is, there has got to be more. Because there's value beyond where you are today. Right? We see it in resurrection. Very, very beautiful picture of the value of more. Right? Because I want to tell you, if you got a friend and they died or a family member and they died and somebody prays and they come back to life, new life springs in them and they're resurrected, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be happy with the resurrected version of them. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just saying we, we should be more excited about a risen, resurrected Savior than about the dead Savior on a cross. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't devalue the death of Jesus and what he did and what it accomplished. But I also know this, that I'm glad that he didn't stay dead on the cross, but he left the tomb empty and he resurrected. Because there's more value in a resurrected Savior than there is one still hanging on the cross. I'm just saying there's more value when we move into the more. Think about restoration. There's more value in the restored than in there is in the original. You know, Pastor, I don't know about that for sure. Well, I don't know. I like Mustangs a little bit, but I like Mustangs. You're going to be disappointed when you get to heaven and everybody's got a Mustang because I think he said, you know, I'm going to give you, or maybe it's a mansion. If I'm in heaven, it could be just a Mustang and you can have the, the mansion because, right, it's going to be beautiful every day. But I'm just saying this. If you had a 64 and a half Mustang new, it's worth $2,389 or something. But if you have a 64 and a half Mustang today that's been restored, that's went through a restoration process, it's, it's like worth 70,000 or, or, or 100,000, or they can go for 400 and 600,000 and even more. If it's restored, there's more value on the restoration process than there was on the original. You hear what I'm saying? 
And I'm just saying for you, there's more value when you step into the, the place that God has transformed and brought change and revived and set you on fire. And oh, let us step into that place. Are you with me? Because what we can do is we can become so adjusted and, 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 uh, and just comfortable with the same old, same old, same old, and just live life in this place. Well, this is just my normal little life, and I go through the routine, and I go through the ritual, and I have a religious kind of kind of service to God, and, and this is who I am, and we have the same habits, and, and, and maybe, maybe some even good habits and good disciplines, but we're just kind of hanging there. We've been hanging there for so long. Unlike the prodigal who realized that, that in, his, in his life that was away from God, he's, he had an aha moment and said, it'd be better if I could get to a place, right? There, there, there's, there's, something, there's something beyond this. There's got to be more. And I'm going to read here in 1 Samuel chapter 22 in a few moments. And, and we, we began this month with these guys in a different state, but in this where I'm going to read, they're just depressed and discouraged and in debt and discontented and, and just, they, they got some stuff going on. Anybody got stuff going on? few of us, right? Some of you maybe have got so accustomed to church as usual. Same old, same old. When I was a kid, we'd sing, we'd sing beautiful hymns, and I love hymns, but, you know, we, we would sing first, first verse, second verse, Skip the third verse because it was never to be ever sung in a church. Maybe close out with the fourth and, and sing a chorus, the chorus a few times, and, and then we'd move on to the next hymn, and we'd move from there to there. And, and, and I think that, you know, we've got modern in, in, our, in our, uh, our worship sometimes, but, but sometimes I, I get a little, I get a little, it gets a little old when it's the, I'm glad we don't have the same old, same old, by the way. When now they do the long intro, like the U2 intro, they do the big long intro, and then they do verse, chorus, verse, go to the bridge, tag the chorus for your, do your outro. And then they do that repeat three times, and we feel like we've been to church. Take up an offering with a few dollars in it. Pre preach a little sermon at, that, that makes you feel a little good and gives you three points and you can fill in the blank. And by the way, I'm not against any of that. That's good stuff. But I'm just saying this. We do our little Bible study on Sunday, but then nobody wants to study the Bible all week. And I'm just saying you ought to be like the Bereans where they studied the Bible daily. And that we come to here, it's not an individual Bible study. It's a corporate time of entering into God's presence and hearing from God's word that prompts us into a life that's, that's better than what we've had before that time. And what we do is we sometimes get stuck kind of out here in outer court and never go into the inner court and never ever get to the holy place. There's a whole lot of people following Jesus, hanging out in the outer court, and there's outer court stuff out there, and it's kind of nice. I like the outer court for a season, but I don't want to stay in the outer court. Some of you have been hanging out in the outer court for 10 years, and you feel like, well, I got to go to church Sunday morning. I got to get up and go to church, and I got to do my church time and all these things. And I'm like, no, you should have moved on beyond that by now and gotten to the place where I'm going to have an encounter with a holy God today, and his Shekinah glory is going to pour it out into my life, and I'm never, ever going to be the same from this moment going forward. Right? It's, it's kind of that in Mark 4.20, it talks about there's a 30, there's a 60, and there's a 100-fold. And I want to tell you, just for me, this is my attitude. I don't know where you're at, but I want to get to the 100. 
You hear what I'm saying? Like 30 is good. Praise God for 30 and praise God for 60. But oh, let me get to the 100 because that just sounds better than 30 and 60. And we can get so used to hanging out in the 30 in the outer court. And I just want to tell you this. There has got to be more. There has got to be more. Say it with me. One, two, three. There has got to be more. And so I'm going to read in 1 Samuel 22. I'm going to pick it up here in the first verse. Good to have Pastor Don Cox and his wife Reggie with us today over here. We, we yeah, make, make them feel honored. They, they were, uh, he helped and she did as well, a funeral uh, celebration of life for Heather Bandy yesterday. And it was just a beautiful time and uh, thankful that we got to be a part of it and that they're here today. Um, and so, and let me just interject this, why, why I got a moment here. Uh, in your seat, there are cards like this. Maybe you already picked them up. If you didn't, go ahead and pick them up. Get them in your hand. And, and I'll just, we're, we're starting something new in August. It says simply this, this place is for you. Here's what I know. There's a whole lot of people within the reach of this building, within the reach of your home. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you live down the street from them. And, and they need an encounter with Jesus. They can't, just, they can't just hang out where they've always been, getting what they've always got, and, and, and end up uh, separated from God. But they need the love of Jesus. There's people around this place. Their kids need to be in a place where they can come and get soaked on Sunday morning and hear about Jesus, whatever it takes. Some of these kids don't know if they're getting baptized or what when they go down that water slide. They'll explain it to them. It just says here on the back, what if you found a place that was so irresistible people couldn't wait to get there? A place so functional that when no one ever wanted to leave. A place that equipped, enabled, and released ordinary people to live extraordinary lives by helping them discover the gifts and talents God gave them. Everybody needs to be in a place like that. And then we gave you a second card. Because there's somebody you know that might have, maybe, maybe they're just in a bad place and they're not connected like they need to be. Because everybody needs to be plugged into a, to a, 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 a an assembly, a group, a place where God's people meet. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Everybody does. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I pastored for a number of years, and then there was a season where I wasn't in this role for a few months. Every Sunday, except one, every Sunday, I was in. I was just like you are, sitting in a place. So I'm not going. I'm not preaching something to you that I don't believe myself. Okay, I practice what I preach, and I'm just saying this that every one of us needs to be connected. little card, and, and there's more of these, so because you may need these. And this is just a way to help give you a tool. just says if you are hurting, if you are depressed, if you are frustrated, if you are confused, you're going to see some of these people in this chapter. You can find God's love, help, hope, forgiveness, and guidance. And there's somebody you are going to meet this month. They just need that. They just need that. They don't need you to quote, 10 scriptures to them and give them the Romans road to how to get saved? You can. I'm just saying, they just got some stuff going on in their life, and they need to know there's some place that they can go where they can get help for that. I want to tell you, if we don't believe the church is it, we're missing it. God, Jesus left this earth, and he left us with the responsibility to be his hands and feet on this earth. And so there's people that they're frustrated, they're confused, 
and they need hope. And so I encourage you, use that. It may be a conversation starter. You don't have to use the card. You can do it without it. You, you may give that to somebody and say that, that, that tells you about a situation in your life and say, hey, I just want to give this to you. And maybe it'll open up a door to pray for them or to share something. And I encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. First Samuel 20. By, by the way, there's also yard signs. People have been taking them, putting them out. You can, they're back here. You can take them, put them in your yard. It's a, good, it's a good way to just get a conversation started. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 22. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone, somebody say everyone, a lot of people who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain, or some Bibles will say commander, over them. And there were about 400 men with him. That number's going to grow to 600, but, but 400 right there, they're with him. And verse 3, then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And you may, if you've got a Bible, you can do it, or maybe you can do it on a mobile device. I'd highlight that just last clause, that till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Horeth. You got this picture here of David, and, and uh, you know, this isn't the David that, what well, is, but it's not the moment in the season where he steps out to face Goliath. It's not the David that is leading his troops into battle at this moment. It's David, and, and it seems like he's just a ragtag bunch of misfits that have kind of come around him. And I, and I will tell you this, God's going to change him because there's got to be more. Got to be more beyond the cave they're in. They're going to become David's mighty men. But in this moment, uh, well, they're just, um, they're just in a rough place. And David is as well. It says David has escaped in verse 1 to the cave of Adullam, that David lands in this place, and uh, he's in a cave. And I think that you know, caves represent a lot in the Christian experience. Um, and in life, caves represent seclusion. How many know that? A cave is a place of separation and getting away. A cave, to most of us, as we view it, well, a cave is a place where nothing, nothing good grows. Right? You didn't, you didn't go to the cave to get an apple today. You, didn't, you don't think about something uh, productive, produce coming out of a cave. A, a cave is a place where nothing good really grows. A cave is a place where there is no light. If you've been in a in a in a, a a cave, a dark, deep cave, one of the things you know is once you turn the natural light out, it's as though you can't see your hand in front of you. It's just so dark because a cave is a place where there's no light, and a cave is a place where it feels and looks very hopeless. Right? It's symbolic of that hideout, of a retreat, of of a secluded place. And sometimes with all the knowledge that we have about victory and all the knowledge that we have about uh, living a victorious life, we find ourselves backed into a cave. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Sometime another in our journey following Jesus, we find ourselves in a cave. And, 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 and I think we enter a cave when our worries become so weighty. We land there. We, we, we end up in a cave when our struggles have become so significant that a cave looks like a place to retreat. We, we end up in a cave when our frustrations become our focus and, and we desire just some change of scenery and we land in a cave because caves are those places that, that separate and seclude us and all of us at times have been there. Maybe somebody today and if you are, I'm preaching for you. You find yourself in a cave of despair and disillusionment and depression and discouragement. Maybe it's the debt that you are in. Maybe it's the discontent that you continue to fight with. Whatever it is, it's become a cave. And that cave is a place that you didn't enter with a group of people. In fact, I think it's important to understand uh, here in, in, this, uh, in verse 1, uh, here in the New King James, it says, when his brothers and his family and everybody arrived. Uh, NLT says, soon, everybody say soon, soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him. And I think soon is a little bit of a word that helps define it maybe better than when, and yet soon isn't very, it's a little vague as well. How many know that? Soon means this, that it happened uh, before later, but it doesn't let us see how long soon was. Was soon a couple days? Was it a few hours? Was it a week? I don't know the timeline on soon, but we know this, that soon was coming. And some of you, you're, you're, you're dealing with the soon right now. right? Da David didn't come in to the cave as a meetup with his brothers. Like they didn't, they didn't put it on the calendar that, that at 10 o'clock on that morning when we're all discouraged and depressed, we're going to meet at the cave. They didn't, it wasn't an agenda item that they had planned. David walked into the cave alone. He didn't stumble on some people that were already there and say, let's hang out together. He didn't plan the meeting. David walked into the cave alone. He walked into it alone. And when you enter a cave many times, a cave of depression and discouragement, you find yourself in a lonely place because you enter it alone. And then I think, as I said, sometimes we're hanging out in soon, right? Soon, soon and very soon, right? We're going to see what we're waiting for. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the answer to our prayer. Anybody waiting on an answer for a prayer? And you're hoping that it'll arrive soon, but, but soon has seemed as though it's been longer than what you anticipated. Soon we'll know what our next is. Soon we'll know what our next step is. And, and we're waiting for, as David gives us the insight here, we're waiting to see what God will do. Because sometimes you end up in that cave alone. But I want to tell you, as a believer, if God's involved in your life, you don't, you're not going to walk out alone. Like David, right? He may have entered alone, but he's not going to walk out alone. And David says in verse 3 that he went to Mizpah in Moab, and he asked the king there, hey, can you, will you allow my parents to, to stay here until I know what God is going to do for me? I, I think, and just maybe this is just me reading into this, but I think it's hard to walk away and not see this, but it seems as though to me that David doesn't know. He, I think he has no idea of what his next is. 
I mean, he knows he's been anointed king. There's no doubt in my mind that he can remember back to that day. And he knows God has worked in his life when he faced Goliath and many other times. But at this moment, at this this juncture in his life, it seems as though that David just doesn't know what God's going to do next or what next even looks like. He's out in a cave and, and whether or not he totally has understood Saul's intentions or he understands what is going on in that realm. I think he maybe has some ideas about it, but I don't know if he fully has understood it all at this point. But the one thing I know is he doesn't necessarily know what's coming next. And so he puts his parents away. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I, I thought about, well, why did he go Moab? Moab, it's not the friends of God. Moab isn't, isn't God's, it's God's enemies. They're the enemy of God. And David could have chose a lot of places. And I thought, well, why, why, did he cho- why did he choose Moab? And then I remember, well, Jesse, his dad, was a son of Obed. And Obed was a son of Boaz. And a Moabitess, scholars think, some think she was a princess, a Moabitess princess named Ruth. And so David had a family, a, a familial connection there that maybe he thought, well, if I go there, they're going to, they're gonna, I'm going to entrust my parents there. And, and it sounds like from what I read in Scripture, they were there for quite a while. But then there's some, there's some uh, little bit of uh, inkling of, from some historical records that they think the king of Moab killed his parents af- after a while. But because let me tell you something, when you're in the cave, don't go to get advice and seek counsel from people that aren't following God. Are you know what I'm saying? You walk into work and like, you know, she's been treating me this way. And they'll give you every reason in the world why you need to get away from her. It goes vice versa, ladies, right? We, 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 we sometimes, when we get in that depressed place, instead of going here, instead of saying, hey, Where's, where's, where's somebody that I can, I can call on that is, as the King James says, of like precious faith that I can, I can just bounce this off of what I'm feeling and what I'm struggling with. And, and David makes this move. And, and, and the cave that he's in, right, there's this possibility that now he's in this stronghold. And by the way, when you get in a defeated place, in a discouraged place, you can go to God in that time. Or you can let it develop into a place that makes a stronghold in your life. Because caves are good places at times. It was in a cave that God protected Moses as his glory passed by. Right? It's in this cave here that God speaks to David. It's in a cave that God spoke to Elijah. And so good things can happen. And we can hear God if we're looking and listening. Right? If we have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Right? It's, it's, it's not an unusual place for a believer to enter a cave, but it's a tragedy if we stay there. God never intended you to stay in your cave. And so I want to spend a few moments just helping us because there's got to be more. And for everybody in the cave, right, those that are in debt, those that are, are uh, discouraged and depressed and discontented, there's there's gotta be more beyond this. And if, if you have time this week, you can read on through 1 Samuel. You see the, the, the more that happens. But, but you know, when David arrives on the scene, um, I, think, I think that when the prophet Samuel shows up and he's letting the sons of Jesse pass by one after another, and this one isn't it, and this one isn't it, and do you have any more sons? 
Oh, we got David out there. David's been counted out. I'm glad that Samuel kind of had an attitude, there's got to be more. I know I've seen this guy and that guy and even thought maybe they were the ones because of their stature or because of the looks, but, but, but these aren't the ones, and there's got to be more. And here comes David. David, when he squares off with, with Goliath and, and, and all, that, all that you would have seen and all that Goliath would have seen in his hand was a strap of leather and a stone. Can you imagine going to Goliath with a rock? I mean, I mean, Goliath is huge, and he's armed, and he's skillful. But, but I want to help us to understand this. David understood, and maybe many there that day after this happened understood, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. David finds himself alone in this cave. And he doesn't know exactly what's gonna, what God's going to do. And maybe you're like that today. Maybe you just don't know exactly what God's going to do. But you can know this like David. There's got to be more. James 1 verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure, who persevere, testing and temptation. Afterward, they're going to receive a crown of life that God's promised to all who love him. And David, I believe he demonstrates there's more by his actions, certainly by his words. And so I'm going to give you three, three hopeful ways uh, that you can step into the more that God has. You see, I believe this. There's more for those who are laying hold of their testimony. There's more, right, for those who, who have embraced, who understand and have knowledge of their testimony. And I think so many times we, we've made testimony just something that we hear somebody that's been through some horrific thing tell us. And thank God for those testimonies. Right? Because here's what Revelation 12, 11 says. It says this, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, there's some ingredients that go into my overcoming, my stepping in to the next, to the more that God has. And your testimony is so important. And you may be here saying, Pastor, well, I don't know. I don't know what I've got. I don't know what God's done. And I say this, you need to work on reflecting on what God has done in your life. And it may look like this this week, setting down in your, in your quiet time, opening your Bible some morning, spending some time digging in and saying, God, just help me to not forget what you've done in my life. I'm talking to some people here this morning. Some of you could tell me right now, well, I know what God did. I know he did this and he did this and he did this. But there's others of you that, that you've been doing this for a while and it seems like the luster of what God did has worn off and it's got a little dim. And I'm just saying this, you're only here this morning because of what God has done. And your testimony is more than just an inspirational story. And we've had, we've had some incredible testimony, uh, I don't know, speakers come in. And I love it. I love it. When Daryl Strawberry was here, anybody here when Daryl Strawberry was here? I'm telling you, man. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, uh, God pulled him out. He's like in the book of Jude, those that, you know, some save, hating the garments, pull him out of the fire with fear. Yeah, Daryl Strawberry was in the fire. I mean, he had fame, celebrity, money, all those things, but he also had addiction and just riot, riotous living, ungodly living, 
and God transformed his life. And when you hear his story, right, it's, there is an inspirational element, but it's not about him. Because your testimony isn't an inspirational story about how you stepped on, you know, up over the things and got out. It's about what God did because you couldn't do. It's, what God, it's about what God did that you were unable to do. It's how God brought you up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and set your feet on the rock and established your goings. And I want to say this, that David, well, he understood testimony. When David entered the cave of Adullam, he entered it, I believe this, with the sword of Goliath. That giant adversary that he had killed says this in 1 Samuel 21, 9, just, just a little while before this. It says this, that, that the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in this valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other, no other sword here except that one. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And what's significant about the sword of Goliath? Well, the sword of Goliath is the one that after David knocked Goliath down, he took his sword and he beheaded that giant to make sure that everybody knew he's dead. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic, but I will. He, here's what would have happened. He would have picked the head up. Can you imagine carrying that big old head from the hair? And I'm just telling you, it's pretty graphic what I'm saying right now. Maybe they put it in a bag before they got back to the king. But the idea was he's going to deliver it to the king, and Goliath is gone. Now, David remembers that sword, and it's so powerful to him because that sword is a picture of what God did way back there. And here's what I know. Sometimes when, I, when I'm in that place and can God do it and will God do it, sometimes i got to look back at what God has done, and if he did it then, he can do it again. If he's worked in your life before, he can do it again. He's not limited to a one-time occurrence. God can work in your life today. Now, here's, what's, here's what I think is pretty powerful. Is where well is that the cave of Adullam is located kind of right smack dab in the middle of the battleground where David killed Goliath. I want to tell you, it's in his mind, Right? the testimony of what God has done. In fact, Adullam, if you break down the Hebrew, you can, you can get it down to this, this point where it means this, their testimony. I don't know what it looked like in that cave, but I want to tell you, if you got that sword of Goliath, I don't know that David's going to wield it. It's huge, right? I mean, you got to be a big guy, a bigger than big guy to do this, but, but David, no doubt, is just t telling them, recounting the story the testimony of what God had did and what God was going to do. Because I, I think it's important you understand your testimony has the power to reshape your future and the future of others around you. Never, ever underestimate the power of your testimony. A testimony carries with it the power to reproduce the miracle. I, I can just tell you, yeah, I can just tell you right now that any time somebody that's, that's been delivered and set free and experienced transformation in their life, when they go to share their testimony, they're just believing and hoping that God's going to do that in your life as well. 
It's not so they can give you a good story. It's not so they can inspire you somehow. It's because what God did for them, he can do for you. And they're believing for a miracle to be released. And I'm saying this, that you'll grab a hold of your testimony and say, God, I'm thankful for what you've done. And I'm believing for you to continue to do that in the lives of others. It's a woman with the issue of blood. You can read about her in the Gospels. She'd spent all she had. She had a hope that maybe if I can get to Jesus and touch the, the fringe, the hem of his garment. There's an Old Testament, one of the minor prophets that talked about there'd be healing in the wings of the Messiah. I think that's, I think that's the, the verse that she's running on. And she touches Jesus, and Jesus, his disciples say, or he says to his disciples, well, who touched me? And they're like, you know, this, this is me paraphrasing, but I might be right. They're like, Jesus, are you crazy? You're asking us if somebody touch you? You see all the people around here? Okay, everybody's trying to touch you, Jesus. We don't know if anybody touched you. He said, well, I felt virtue leave my body. I want to tell you, when you get to the place that you touch him, he's aware. He's aware. You know he's not changed. Sometimes we, sometimes we, get, the, we get the earthly Jesus, and here he is, and he's doing all this, and then we get the heavenly Jesus where he's up there not doing anything. And I'm just saying the Bible says he's the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever he did in his earthly ministry, we know that he'll do today. Anybody with me? And, and so he says, virtue left my body, and, and, and she, she fesses up. Yeah, it was me, and, and he said, well, your faith's made you whole. And she, immediately, immediately she experienced healing. Now, I don't know, but I, I got a suspicion, and this is just a suspicion. I feel like it's a good one. Matthew 14, verse 34, 36. If, if you're reading her story in Matthew, it's in Matthew 9, so several chapters over, and I think this appears at a later date in the chronology of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 14, verse 34 says, And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick. And look at verse 36. And implored him that they might only touch the fringe, the hem of his garment, as many as touched it were made well, were made whole. I just think that maybe somebody told somebody that told somebody that there's a woman. She didn't even have Jesus touch her. She just touched the fringe of his garment, and she was completely healed. She'd suffered for 12 years with no hope, spent all she had, and she just touched the fringe of his garment. And if we can get to, we heard about it, if we can touch the fringe of his garment, we can be healed too. Off of her testimony, a repeated miracle. So you got to understand this. Your testimony is to remember for yourself what God has done and relive that moment. I think every time the Apostle Paul said, I was on a Damascus road, and I had this encounter with Jesus. I think for him, he was reliving that moment. It's to remind others what God has done and encourage them to expect the same. Your testimony. And it's to release the power of the testimony that the miracle may be reproduced. It doesn't have to stop with you. And here's what Revelation 19.10 says. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That, that, when I, that when I speak out what Jesus has done in my life, the testimony is what he's done. It's a prophetic unction that can produce supernatural ripple.
ripple effect supernaturally. Secondly, I think it's important to understand this, that when it comes to the idea that there's more and there's got to be more, and it will be when I, when I step into a place and lay hold of my testimony. And, and, and some of you this morning, you say, well, I, you know, I don't have that testimony where I was, you know, addicted or I was in this bound place or captive place or in bondage or any of those things. I don't have that. You know, I just went to church and one day I said a prayer and, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into all that. And I'm like thinking, what a testimony. What a testimony. I'm telling you, every addict that I know that's been set free would say, oh, I wish I had your testimony. I wish I had the testimony where I don't have all these scars and, and all the bruises and wounds that I do from where I've been. And I, don't, I wish I had your testimony where I don't find myself still fighting the thing that had a hold of me and, 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 and it coming to play in my life again and again and again. I wish I had that testimony. Don't undersell what God did for your life. And I'm also so thankful for those that you've been in bondage. You were held captive. It didn't look like there's any hope for you. But in your aha moment, God came by. I'm speaking to somebody right now. You feel, like, you feel like there's no hope beyond it. You feel like you're stuck in a place and you can't, get, you can't push forward. And I'm just saying this. There's a God who loves you. He sent his son to die in your place. Not so that you could just be saved from hell. That's a part of it. But so that you could experience freedom. He says it like this in John 10. That, that you could have life and life to the full. That means a free life. Anybody with me? That means a life where, where something else doesn't have a hold on you. And I'm just saying this this morning. You may be here, and maybe you came because somebody invited you. Or maybe you came because you, you came for whatever reason. I'm just saying today you can experience freedom in your life. Secondly, there is more for those whose dependency is on the Lord. Because you know how it is. We, we like to fix it. Anybody like to fix it? I mean, I'm telling you, you bring me a problem, I want to fix it. I mean, really, I'd rather you not bring me a problem because I'll get all into it trying to fix it. You fool with fixing it. And sometimes I want to fix things that I can't fix. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we're working toward doing something that we think somehow we're going to get it right. At the end of the day, we'll never get it right. There's some things you can't put back together, some things you can't fix, and you've got to quit putting your dependency on you and put your dependency on him. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, two verses here, said David replied to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, here's what David said, I will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And when I give and I, then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You need, you need, if you're taking notes, write those verses down. Here's what David's saying. David's not saying, well, you know, I've got some skills I've learned while shepherding that I'm going to apply right now. He didn't say, I just went to this crash course on how to defeat a, a, a giant. He's not, he's not leaning in to who he is and what he can do. He's not saying, I've been getting buff and working out, and so Goliath, I'm ready. He's not saying any of that stuff. David's saying, it's really, you got all the armament? I don't even have Saul's armor because it wasn't proven. 
The one thing that I know that's proven is that the Spirit of the Lord can work through me and I'm stepping out here and my dependency is not on what I can do. All I've got is a sling and five stones. It's not about what I can do. It's about what He can do through me and I'm dependent on Him to work today. And I'm telling you, you will embrace more and you'll see more when your dependency is on the Lord and not on yourself. Right? And dependency on the Lord requires my obedience. And sometimes we don't like that. Shifting our dependency. Paul said it like this, that when I am weak, right, it's he who is strong that my confidence is in, not in my weakness, not in my strength, not in my ability. And there's more for those who embrace, lastly, the Spirit's work in their life. I'm just going to tell you right now, You can't get the Christian life right without the Holy Ghost. We can't do church. I mean, you can try to do it. I don't know why you would. But you can't can't do church without the Holy Ghost. I mean, go back to the early church. Inaugural day, first service, grand opening, Acts chapter 2. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have a building like this. They sure didn't have air conditioning. How many like air conditioning on a day like today? They, they, didn't, they didn't have keyboards and guitars and drums like this. They didn't have a hymnal or a projection screen. They didn't have a Bible like we do. I want to tell you what they had. They had the Holy Ghost. And because of their dependency on God and the work of the Spirit in their lives, that the Holy Ghost on that day caused them to have to baptize 3,000 in one day. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It wasn't because of methodologies and philosophies and ideologies and all these things. It was because of the power of the Spirit working in their midst. And it's going to require the same thing today. The Spirit working in our lives individually and corporately to ever see the more that God has. There's got to be more. And I want to tell you, it comes through those who embrace the Spirit's work in their life. David, can you imagine 1 Samuel 16? 13, he's there, and Samuel pulls out this horn filled with oil, this flask, and pours it on him. Significant of the Holy Spirit and anointing, and it still requires that today. John 7, 38 said, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures have said, rivers of living water are going to flow from his heart out of our innermost being, out of your belly shall rivers of living water flow. The Holy Spirit working. You need the Holy Spirit working in your life.